Today on CityCast Boise, 36 years after Joyce Casper was found murdered, Boise police say her killer has finally been found. KTVB's Alex Duggan is here to walk us through how Boise detectives cracked the case and why one retired detective said her death impacted him like no other in his career. It's Thursday, July 13th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. We wanted to have you on to talk about this story that you wrote because it's such an interesting case. So why don't you start by telling us about this cold case and why it got reopened? Right. So Joyce Casper, she was 65 years old and she was killed in her car outside of the shop that she worked at on Vista. So in 1987, she owned a Hallmark store. It was like a gift shop and she would often work late hours. But this night on October 13th was different because she, I think she left about nine um, and police say she was abducted outside, like walking to her car, which is a really short distance. So they think that this person was kind of lying in wait for her. And then from my understanding, police said that she was strangled by some type of ligature um, and then she was sexually assaulted and the perpetrator drove her car with her in it about two blocks from where she usually parked. So then it, her car was found on kind of by these railroad tracks off of Day Drive behind the, the business. and. It was just, I mean, there was just like no leads. Like police said that they talked to everybody, you know, they had no witnesses. Nothing really, really came of it. I mean, they had a ton of people on their list, but nothing happened. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a ton of work went into this case. Over 145 suspects were investigated and cleared. Um, They did a ton of follow-up, a ton of interviews, and, you know, the only like maybe slightly they had was that she had uh, before her death reported a young man um, had tried to assault her at the store but ran off. So they kind of had maybe a small lead there. But how did they finally solve it? It sounds like they had been stumped for quite a while. Right. So, I mean, this case was continually reopened, just assigned to new detectives. I mean, like, so from my experience with like other cold cases I've written about, I mean, you know, somebody gets promoted, somebody leaves the department and that cold case is passed along to somebody else. And then that person has to go through everything that they, that the person that was working on it before went through. So it takes time. And places like Boise, these cold cases are usually assigned to a homicide detective who also has other cases they're working on and can work on this in their spare time. But eventually at some point, Detective Josiah Ransom was place on the case and he started working with Parabon Nano Labs, which is how the Golden State Killer was was found or like how other um, serial killers were found. I mean, developing kind of like what this person would have looked like back then and then following up. Um, So they developed this phenotype of what he would look like and it showed that he was probably like a Latino man from Puerto Rico and that he was young at the time of the crime from the DNA left at the crime scene. And that really didn't give them much, but at least it helped narrow down like their pool of suspects, right? So then um, Ransom was promoted and Detective 
Paul J. Gosh began working on it and he was like, well, what about if we sent this to like a gene- genealogy database? So he started working with Identifinders International and he just went back and forth and back and forth creating this giant family tree of the profile and like who he thinks is in this family. And it was just really bizarre how he came to finding the person that probably, or that they say killed Joyce was he found a brother who said, I might have a half brother who lives in Idaho, but I don't know. So then he goes back to his family tree, finds these two sons of the guy he thinks committed this crime, goes to Los Angeles. These children are older now. They're unhoused. He finds them somehow on the streets of LA gets them to a Starbucks is swabbing their cheeks in a Starbucks. And then it comes back as a match that, that they're the kids for the suspect who we now know is Frank Rodriguez. That is wild uh, that they were able to pursue that down that family tree. Um, One thing from your story that really stuck out to me that I thought was really interesting was that Detective Lance Anderson said that no case in his 27 years had the same impact on him, uh, that it stayed with him his entire life. Why do you think that was? Well, I mean, Lance Anderson. So when I spoke to him on Sunday, he was the first um, detective that was on the scene. Um, And he was, I mean, he was the initial investigator. So, and this kind of rocked the community from my understanding, because Joyce was such a like lovely, well-known woman in that area. People knew her store, people knew her. And he, I mean, he described it as just like horrific. Like it just, it doesn't really sit right with you not knowing who did this all these years. And then he kept just going back to it and he kept double checking with all the investigators on the case throughout the years, offering his help, offering, you know, his thoughts. He said, I would get a gut feeling. I would call them. I would like, he was still working even though he was, he retired in 2005, but he was still, I mean, just so, so tied to this case. I mean, if you just think about how that one, I think police always have one case that, sticks with them. And I think that that was it for, for Lance Anderson is what it sounded like, because, you know, and just to, to hear his kind of the relief in his voice, like he said, it was a great relief that this day came finally, because he worked so hard in the beginning and he had to retire not knowing what happened. You know, now he's here to see it. You were there for the, um, you know, the press release where they announced that they had found uh, Joyce Casper's killer. And could you describe the emotions and reactions you witnessed when it was announced that the case was finally solved? I know that they did a commemoration of, of all the officers involved. So they held a press conference on Sunday when the, when the family could be here. And I, I remember thinking when the news came in, I was like, no way, because this case is so, I mean, it's, it's so old. I mean, it's almost 40 years old. And I was like losing my mind in the newsroom. And then, you know, we get, we get to Sunday and I think like I walked in and everyone was very, very, I feel like relaxed, happy. Um, The detectives were kind of mingling with the family. They had treats set out. They had water. They had like this whole, um, they had pictures of her. They had the deputy chief of police there. They had all the old detectives from the case there, the retired ones that had worked on it and left. Um, We had the new detectives there. It was really, it was really nice. I think the way that they went about it, like they very clearly 
never gave up on on the case, even though it seemed like there was a lot of dead ends. So the man police say killed her, Frank Rodriguez, he died by suicide in 2007. And I just think, you know, do you think her family was able to have any resolution from this this case being solved? Um, did, it, did it seem like, you I mean, they were there, you saw them. Did it seem like they were able to find closure in this, even though he technically wasn't, I guess, brought to justice? I mean, I actually spoke personally with her family. And um, so it was actually her children who showed up, her three kids. And they had never thought that this case would be solved. They never thought that their that justice would come for their their mom. And they also described it as a relief. They just said, "We, you know, we're just happy to know that the the, the police did their job and that this was a relief. We never thought this day would come, but here it is." Um, and they described her as just, you know, vivacious and kind. Um, and one of her daughters said that, you know, she went to South Junior High, which was kind of right across the street from, from there. And all the kids would come over and get sodas at her store and stuff like that. So people, and, and people never really lost sight of what happened to her is what her daughter said. Even years later, she would go to, you know, high school reunions and, and her mom would be brought up. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's just a relief for them and, to be honest, it's interesting, though, because so Frank Rodriguez, he lived in Idaho. He lived in other states, too. He also lived in Caldwell, and I think that's where he died. Um, but it's crazy because, you know, talking to the detectives, they usually say, like, if someone commits this type of heinous crime, they usually have done it before or they escalate and will do it again. And so police are still thinking that it's possible he has committed other crimes. And so they're still asking for information for like anyone that have, had known him at the time or throughout their life to contact them because there could be other unsolved cases that he may be involved with. And, you know, just I, when I talked to Detective Jagosh, he just said that speaking with his family, it's a struggle to think that he is not the perpetrator because just what he knows about him, his and like criminal profiling, his personality fits the fits the bill pretty well. Um, but the family of Rodriguez was very cooperative and Jagosh said that they were completely shocked um, and that this felt like a kind of like a death notification for him because his family is just horrified. Oh, yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So it's a very it's very complicated, but I can't, I can't believe that this was actually solved because, you know, it it took so long. Um, but it does give us hope for other cases that are unsolved and that police have DNA for because. Investigative genealogy is so prominent now that I think a lot of the cases from the 70s or 80s are going to start popping up again. Had you heard of this case before uh, it was solved? Yes, I have. I have heard of this case. When I worked at the Idaho Press, I was doing a lot of cold case stories, and this was definitely one that had come up. But because when I was working there, they had just reopened it. So it was very hush-hush as to what was going on um, with the case. And they were making a lot of traction, I think. So I didn't really have the ability to kind of get into into it. But I have I've definitely heard of it. And um, I think a lot of people in the in the Boise area have also heard of it. So I think that it's it's just a, it's a good day to to see um, to see something like that happen.
Well, um, Alex, we are always thinking of you and we really appreciate you um, bringing this story to us because it's pretty incredible that the family was able to get this closure. So thanks so much for coming on and we love having you. Thank you. And an update on a story we brought you before. Idaho Press is reporting that Donald Haida, the Meridian police officer who punched 31-year-old Colt Stewart six times while he was being arrested, did not mention his use of violence against Stewart in his police report. Haida describes Stewart elbowing him and mentions that Stewart had broken bones, but didn't report repeatedly punching him in the head. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. We'll be back tomorrow morning for your weekly news roundup. Bye.